Today, I really feel like starting the podcast with a scene out of the office where Dwight Schrute is named Northeastern Pennsylvania Salesman of the Year, and he makes a speech at an association meeting at the Radisson Lackawanna Station Hotel. Given some tips from Jim Halpert, he pounds on the podium in a dictatorial style and makes sweeping generalizations about the state of things in today's paper sales business. But before I get ruled offside upon further review by the locked-on powers that be, allow me to introduce the show. My name is Ian McLaren, and this is the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, your favorite team every day. Thank you for joining me. My name is Ian McLaren. You can follow me on Twitter at Ian C. McLaren. You can follow the show at LO underscore Boston Bruins. Thank you for joining me today, Wednesday, November 6th. Coming up on Locked On Boston Ruins today, we're going to break down Tuesday night's uh, loss to the Montreal Canadiens. We're going to uh, answer some mailbag questions and also take a quick look around the NHL. Before we get into it, I would just encourage you to download, rate, review the show wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, I use Pocket Casts on my Android phone, and I love it. I don't know if there's a review option on there, but specifically Apple users, if you could uh, toss a star rating and a couple words of uh, encouraging reviews, uh, it would be greatly beneficial to the growth of the show, and I would very much appreciate it if you were able to do that sometime today. So let's begin today's podcast by taking a look back at the Bruins' 5-4 loss to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, they're Six-game win streak was snapped. Ten-game point streak came to an end. Uh, Before we dive too deep into it, I want to acknowledge the fact that the Bruins did not play their best game of the season by any stretch. Tukarask allowed a couple goals that I'm sure he would like back. Um, Although, I mean, what goalie doesn't want every goal they allow to to come back? It's kind of a a stupid hockey trope to say that. But still, there was a couple goals that were um, shaky, to say the least. And that should have been saved, um, including the game winner scored by Ben Sherratt. Um, so yeah, it wasn't the Bruins' best game. Uh, but similar to Monday's win over the Penguins, they were still in a position to win the game despite it not being their best effort. And that's the one thing I've noticed about these Bruins this season is that even when they're not at their best, um, they're still talented enough to... Uh, be able to claw back from deficits and uh, you know make the game interesting at least. I, I can't see many instances this season where they're going to be blown out. Um, there's obviously going to be rare nights where that happens, but this team uh, is, is too good and too deep to have that occur uh, too often. Um, the thing last night is that you know they were... Um, battling back, they went down, they came back. I think there was three times the the Canadians went up and the Bruins were able to come back. Um, And um, they did eventually lose, which we'll talk about how that came to be. But the reality is they weren't going to maintain an 850 win percentage all season long. Tuka Rass wasn't going to maintain a 950 save percentage all season long. And losses are going to occur throughout the year. It's just a fact of life. I think the problem for many of us was how it happened last night and the fact that the Bruins uh, appeared to go up 
in the third period after uh, facing all those deficits. They appeared to take a lead, um, but the goal was called back. And uh, then, as I mentioned, Sherratt went on to win uh, the game for the Canadians by scoring on Tuka Rask later in the third period. Now, this, of course, was only the Bruins' second loss in regulation this season. The first was against the Colorado Avalanche back in October. And in that one, they had two goals called back, one for offside, one for goalie interference. In Tuesday's loss to Montreal, they had an offside review that uh, went against them and denied them the uh, go-ahead goal in the third period. Uh, Sean Corrali had tied the game with his first goal of the season at 3.03 of the third period. And uh, shortly after, the Bruins appeared to take their first lead of the night uh, after some strong work by the line of Charlie Coyle, Anders Bjork, and Zach Sinishin. Sinishin? Sinishin? I'll go with Sinishin. Coyle carried the puck into the zone. He worked it down low with line mates Bjork and Sinishin. As I mentioned, he was recalled from Providence before the game, as we talked about yesterday. Uh, He, Sinishin, picked up the loose puck below the goal line, fed it out to Coyle for what looked like the go-ahead goal. Now, uh, Montreal head coach and old friend Claude Julien opted to challenge the goal. And after a lengthy review of about uh, three minutes, I believe, it was determined that the puck by like millimeters had crossed the Habs blue line just before Coyle's right skate. Now, if you look at the review, uh, the replay, Coyle had played the puck with his skate and certainly appeared to have uh control of the puck, possession of the puck as it crossed the line. But uh, the officials, after this very lengthy review, uh, determined that it was indeed offside. The linesman had a clear look at the play when the puck went over the line. Uh, He did not see anything uh, untoward about how Coyle brought the puck into the zone. But um, the referees, they you know, examined the play very closely for a very long time and ultimately ruled that um, it was offside, which for all of us who watched, even Montreal fans on Twitter, people all across the hockey world this morning are saying how dumb this is because um, you're just taking so much time to um, make a call on the most minute error that you perceive to be the case even when there's really no conclusive evidence that it is and Bruce Cassidy I think said it best after the game where he said the rule was put in place specifically for egregious plays they're over there for three minutes you think well what is the purpose of this rule either you find something or you don't three minutes so now you're looking for something you know it's going to go the other way and it did that's where my beef comes from you always want to get it right but there was a Change this summer to punish the coaches for this reason. They didn't want three-minute reviews. It was a big part of the game. Didn't go away. The the change that he's referring to is that if it um, is doesn't go your way, that you get a uh, a penalty as a result. Uh, so it's kind of discouraging coaches to take that risk when it's a really close call. Uh, but Julian uh, ultimately decided it was worth the risk, and he was rewarded. Uh, with the play coming back. And and again, my whole take is that um, we're removing scoring from the game. We're slowing down the game with these 
useless reviews and we're wiping out goals based on uh, assessments of the play that come down to like millimeters of um, offsideness, if you can say it that way. So um, yeah, I just really am so sick of these reviews, especially the offside ones, goaltender interference, fine. It's worth it to protect the goalie um, and to discourage guys from banging into the net. But these offside reviews where goals are scored uh, several seconds later, um, I think the NHL really needs to take a look at this and uh, make some changes sooner than later, hopefully um, by the off season at the very latest. Now, before we move on, I just wanted to talk for a second about DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, Locked On Boston Bruins listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. A little more on the game before we dive into the mailbag. As I mentioned, Rask, he uh, stopped only 26 of 31 shops, shops, shots. His record dropped to 7-1-1. He said it was one of those nights. It felt like a golf ball, not a hockey puck. Wasn't tracking well. Tough night for me, but I thought we battled well. Could have easily won the game. And that's what I'm saying. Um, Rask was due for some regression in terms of his a stellar save percentage to start the year. But the thing with these Bruins as is that even when he has a bad night or Halak has a bad night, um, as was the case on Monday, the team is talented enough to bail the goalies out. Um, there were times earlier in the season where it was the goaltenders who were bailing out the offense when the secondary scoring wasn't going. But now the Bruins are, are kind of starting to fire on all cylinders offensively and they can uh, bail their goalies out with, um, yeah, just a goal basically on any shift. All four, all four lines can score, as we saw uh, in this game with uh, Corrali getting a goal, um, Pasternak scoring, um, Connor Clifton scoring as well. Um, so, yeah, that um, was encouraging to see. But ultimately, like I said, it didn't go their way based on that um, bull crap offside review. Um Charlie Coyle, like I said, he um, his goal was wiped out. He was playing with two rookies in uh, Bjork and Seneshin. Uh, Seneshin, after the game, he was denied the, the assist on Coyle's goal. He easily could have had an assist earlier on a goal scored by Anders Bjork. Uh, he said, obviously, you want to get the two points. You want to help the team win. But I felt really good out there. It's pretty easy to play with a guy like Charlie Coyle and obviously Anders Bjork, who really pushes the play. It was a lot of fun out there, but not the outcome we wanted. Um, I believe he did enough to warrant uh, an extended look on that line. I think that line really has the potential to uh, push the play and flummox the opposition, especially in a weaker defensive um, uh, deployment from the other teams on the third line. You're not going to see the team's best defense out there when the third line's out there. So I think that line can really... um, push the play, use their speed to get behind the opposition and create some scoring chances. Uh, Seneshin, I think, really has uh, grown in his ability to uh, forecheck, to to um, put pressure on the opposition to get in the dirty areas. This goal that was wiped out, he had collected the goal kind of behind the goal line and, and uh, worked it out front to coil. 
who uh, had a kind of an easy shot in the net. Uh, but again, it was wiped out and he denied the point, but I think he at least should get um, a few more games to prove that he's ready to make the jump to the NHL. Uh, one other note from the game, and a, a pretty big one, was that Zdeno Chara, uh, it was his 1500th NHL game. He was recognized during a TV timeout in the first period with a, a video tribute. This was in Montreal. Chara rose and waved to cheering Canadians fans who were showing their appreciation uh, with a standing ovation, which is uh, pretty crazy to see considering the rivalry between the Bruins and the Canadians, uh, the vitriol that was spewed against Chera, uh, notably after the Max Pacioretty incident several years ago. Uh, he said, obviously that felt really nice. I appreciate that. It was really classy. It's definitely something I will remember. It shows they are very passionate fans. They support their team. We've had some battles. It's a good rivalry. A lot of history with both teams. It's always fun to play these games. Um, so, yeah, nice to see Chara get um, some love from Canadians fans. Probably the last fans in the league that you'd expect to give them that. But um, kudos to the Canadians for acknowledging that milestone and for the fans for uh, reacting uh, in kind. Uh, David Pasternak, as I mentioned, he scored his 15th goal in the 15th game for the Bruins, uh, launching a one-timer from the circle off a feed from Tori Crew. It was a power play goal. Uh, Pasternak, per NHL stats, is the first Bruins player since Peter McNabb in 1976-77 to score 15 goals in the team's first 15 games. He now has 30 points in the season, making him the third player in franchise history to reach that mark in 15 or fewer games joining Phil Esposito in 73-74 and Bobby Orr in 74-75. Brad Marchand didn't get a point, so his point streak ends at 13 games. Uh, but that pair remains atop the NHL scoring leaderboard. Uh, like I mentioned, Pasternak has 15 goals. Now he has 15 assists for 30 points in 15 games and even two point per game average. And Marchand has 10 goals, 18 assists for 28 points, 1.87 point per game average. Uh, they both lead in total points and in points per game. Uh, so uh, even though Marchand was held off the board, he still stays in second place. Uh, so that's it, I think, for last night's game. Go away offside reviews. That's all I have to say about that. That all said, let's now dive into the mailbag. I put out a call last night for mailbag questions. I think uh, I got a, a couple last night and then one left over from last week that I wanted to get back to. Uh, Court Lalonde, at Court Lalonde, he asked if the Bruins lose this, lose this game. This was, I think, uh, during the second intermission. Did they need a stinker? Uh, I wouldn't say they needed a stinker per se, but I think they were due for a game where... They fell back to earth a little bit. Like I mentioned, they were rolling with an 850 win percentage heading into last night's game. They were, uh, Tugarask had the 950-something save percentage. So I wouldn't say they were due for it. They were in position to, to win that game. Uh, they were ahead at one point before the uh, offside call went didn't go their way. But I do think that... Um, yeah, they were just due for some regression in general. 
there's going to be nights where um, the offense isn't firing and their shooting percentage drops a bit or the goaltending isn't quite there and the um, save percentage drops a bit. Um, so I think, yeah, that's that's just bound to happen. They're not going to win every game. Um, and they were due for things to go the opposition's way. And that just happens uh, every once in a while for even the best of teams. Um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, how I would respond to that question. Um, the next question came from William Nickerson at Squillbill95. He said, do you think this could finally be the year where they don't trade for a second-line right winger? I'm actually enjoying Heinen in that spot. Well, Will he be enough? I agree with uh, William here. I think Heinen has stepped in to the second line right wing spot alongside David Krejci and uh, Jake DeBrusque. Uh, he stepped in there very well. He's been very effective in that role. I think he's um, proving to be an aggressive forechecker who can help uh, cycle the puck, create some scoring chances. Uh, he's starting to, to hit the back of the net a bit more as well. Um, so I think that line uh, has been an effective second unit for the Bruins so over the last few games. Uh, you could even argue that uh, Heiden has been better this season and more effective than DeBrusque overall. Uh, whether Heinen is the answer at that position, I'm not quite sure. Uh, obviously, the Bruins have been beset by injuries right now, which have prompted um, several recalls with uh, Bjork coming up, Senishin coming up. Um, uh, so yeah, Par Lindholm's hurt, Joachim Nordstrom's hurt, Brett Ritchie is dealing with something. Uh, so once those guys are all healthy, there'll obviously be some decisions to make in terms of whether or not to send um, Bjork, Senishin back to the AHL. Uh, personally, I'd like to see them stay up because I, I prefer those skilled, uh, speedy guys over the more gritty characters. But uh, but um, ultimately, I could see Bjork, Coyle, Heinen sticking as the third line, and um, maybe they'll try to keep putting Richie up on the second line for now. But I do think that will be an area that Don Sweeney will address at some point uh, this season. There are some answers within the organization for regular season games in November. But once it comes to the playoff push, especially with uh, Coyle being a UFA, Tori Krug being UFA. I really think that um, they'll go all in this year. And that means um, not relying on those young guys in the playoffs when it matters most, but bringing in a veteran winger to um, just help spread things out offensively, uh, responsible and with the puck in his own zone as the Bruins uh, kind of favor but maybe like a Tyler Toffoli kind of guy could be brought in. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think they're done building the roster for a playoff push come, um, come spring. Uh, so I, th- I do think they will look for a, a second line winger at some point. Uh, the third question came from, Yuso Kakiainen on Twitter, his handle is at J-U-P-S-U-H. And he asked, is it possible for uh, the line of Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak to reach 300 total points? 
uh, over the course of the season. I think they are, I mean, they're currently on pace for that, but that doesn't really mean anything at this point. That trio has combined for 74 points through 15 games. Pasternak with 30, as I mentioned, Marchand with 28, Bergeron with 16. Uh, they've all played in every game so far this season. So if we extrapolate that over 82 games, this line would be on pace currently for 404 points total. Now, obviously, uh, Pasternak won't get 164 all by himself. Marchand's unlikely to get, uh, you know, 150 all by himself. Uh, Bergeron, he's on pace for like 90 or something like that. So um, this line will slow down at some point, you would expect. Uh, Pasternak shooting 28%. Marchand's shooting 24%. So those percentages will come down. And... um, I would expect, yeah, Pasternak and Marchand could each push for 100 points this year easily. Uh, Bergeron, probably 80 to 90, best case. So 300 may be a stretch, but it wouldn't be a surprise to see them combine for maybe 270, 90 average between the three of them. Um, but yeah, it's obviously a special line, the best line in hockey right now, uh, without question. And uh, anytime they're on the ice, whether it be even strength, uh, power play, shorthanded with Marchand and Bergeron, they're always a threat to score, uh, even when uh, met by the team's top uh, defensive talents. Um, So, um, yeah, like I said, uh, I don't think 100 points for uh, or sorry, Pasternak or Marchand is out of the question. Bergeron uh, probably won't reach that level, but uh, it all depends also on health. Uh, They've all played every game so far to to suggest that they'll all be healthy for all 82 regular season games is uh, probably not realistic. And in fact, um, they may even choose to rest some of these guys down the stretch uh, just to stay fresh for the playoffs, AKA load management as, as become kind of a, a buzzword in sports, thanks to the, the Toronto Raptors and uh, Kawhi Leonard last year, uh, Tuka and Halak are already kind of uh, on that schedule in terms of load management. And um, yeah, so 300 points, probably not, but you know, crazier things have happened and, and I wouldn't put it past this line to combine for that much, but uh, we'll have to see uh, how things shake out as the season goes on. To wrap up today's show, let's take a quick look at some news and notes from around the NHL. The big story on uh, Tuesday was the New York Islanders extending their win streak to 10 games with a win over the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Some people expected the Islanders to take a step back this year after their uh, pretty fortunate rise to uh, a playoff spot with uh, under new head coach Barry Trotz and thanks to goaltending coach uh, Mitch Gorn, who did wonders with Thomas Grace and Robert Leonard. Leonard left and was replaced by Semyon Varlamov, and this team really hasn't missed a beat. Uh, they are, um, yeah, they are, like I said, on a 10-game win streak, and they currently have the second-highest point percentage in the NHL behind our Boston Bruins. The Bruins are down to uh, 80%. 
Islanders are at 78.6 with a record of 11-3-0 to date. So a very impressive rise for the Islanders. And uh, they're the big story to watch uh, moving forward to see how long they can keep that going. Uh, In terms of rumors, Pierre Lebrun on TSN, he reported that the Hurricanes are carrying a surplus of defensemen. Don't want to risk losing one on waivers. They're willing to trade uh, Trevor Reamsdyke or Hayden Fleury for a top nine forward. Uh, Both are restricted free agents this summer. They've been a team that's been interested in Jesse Pogliarvi. So maybe the uh, Oilers could come calling for some defensive help, which they could always use. Um, The Sabres are kind of in the same boat, and they may be looking to move Marco Scandella or Zach Bogosian. Uh, once they return from injury, they're looking also for a top six forward or top nine forward at the very least. Um, in 31 Thoughts, Elliot Friedman reported that the Senators GM Pierre Dorian was on a scouting trip to L.A. and Nashville, sparking uh, trade speculation. Uh, one thing that he mentioned, which is a bit crazy, but uh, the Predators are reportedly trying to move Kyle Turris, and that had some people wondering if... Uh, he may be reuniting with the Senators. Uh, Turris has a $6 million cap hit through 2023-2024, which wouldn't seem to make sense for the uh, Senators, who are you know a budget team, barely above the floor. Uh, but Tyler Toffoli might be a guy that they are looking for as well. He also mentioned the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche could go big game hunting. In the trade market, uh, when they're fully healthy, they have a ton of assets. Uh, they're obviously off to a, a very good start. And, um, yeah, that's something to look look at in the Western Conference as well. The Maple Leafs are in a bit of a bind as well with Travis Dermott and Zach Hyman coming back. Um, they will have to um, deal with two or three players off the current roster that will need to be traded or waived to make way for their return. Um, So um, it'll be interesting to see if they make a trade to clear some salary cap space uh, or if they waive some guys uh, who may be claimed. Uh, And finally, the Kings, as we mentioned, are in a rebuilding mode. And um, it looks like Anybody but Drew Doughty and Andy Kopitar and their young prospects uh, are on the market. That includes uh, Toffoli, Kyle Clifford, uh, Jeff Carter, even Jonathan Quick, who has been terrible to start the season. They may all be available in trades. So the Kings will be a team to watch uh, as the deadline approaches, as teams look to kind of plunder their roster. Uh, I think I mentioned that yesterday as well. So that's the news and notes going on around the NHL today, Tuesday, no, Wednesday, November 6th. The Bruins are now off until Friday, where they will travel to Detroit for a date with the Red Wings. That should be a a pretty easy bounce back game for them, as the Red Wings uh, have been awful to start the season. Uh, Then they'll be off Saturday and back in action on Sunday hosting the Philadelphia Flyers. Those are the next two games. Uh, we have two more shows coming up this week, so we'll we'll certainly tee up uh, those games later in the week, as well as look at some power rankings. And um, tomorrow we have some Charlie Coyle appreciation planned as well. This has been 
the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen to my thoughts on last night's game. And uh, if you have any feedback or comments or questions, please tweet the show at LO underscore Boston Bruins. Or you can also email LockedOnBostonBruins at gmail.com. If you want to send me a direct message, you can find me at Ian C. McLaren. Have a good one and talk to you tomorrow, friends.